is it really possible to see your own ghost? D.H. Lawrence, the blunt and blazing English novelist, died of consumption in the south of France at 44. A few days before his death, Mrs. Huxley was in his room tidying it and plumping the pillows. Lawrence was propped up in bed, an emaciated figure wearing a red nightcap for warmth. Suddenly he exclaimed, Mrs. Huxley, I'm not really here, Maria. I'm over on the other side of the room and I can see myself. My cap looks funny and my nose seems very thin. In those few seconds, Lawrence had seen his own ghost. In daylight, as solid seeming as his real companion. There was, of course, nothing there. This experience is known as autoscopy, seeing oneself. In the 4th century BC, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, reported a man who could not go for a walk without seeing his double coming toward him. The great Russian novelist of the 19th century, Fyodor Dostoevsky, experienced autoscopy and was so filled with pity and terror that he wrote a book about it, The Double, and introduced the theme into most of his other works. In today's episode, we're going to be visited by some ghosts from the future as we explore the phenomena of future ghosts, or doubles, in relation to one particular man who had a real interest in this area. You may be one of the many who do not know the story of William Thomas Steed. William Thomas Steed was a British newspaper editor and someone who pioneered investigative journalism. He championed and led for change in important campaigns that he brought to light, some of which would become law. He would spend months in jail to fight and prove the existence of terrible acts of child prostitution. Thanks to this man, the age of consent would change from 13 to 16. In the 1890s, he would become fascinated, like many with the spiritualist movement. Steed widely made known that he was in communication with the spirit world, using a variety of different methods, including automatic writing from 1892 onwards. He would, in 1893, go on to produce a spiritualist quarterly publication known as Borderland, a fitting name for articles presenting research and work around the question of what happens after death and for the spirits believed to communicate between here and somewhere else. The publication would cease in 1897, after just four years, his quest to explore beyond death having damaged his reputation. W.T. Steed boarded the Titanic in 1912. He was travelling to America at the request of the President William Taft, so as to take part in a peace congress at Carnegie Hall. On the night of the sinking of the Titanic, William Steed regaled passengers at the dining table with tales of the cursed mummy at the British Museum, before retiring to bed at 10.30pm. When the ship struck the iceberg, William helped several women and children into lifeboats. He generously gave up his life jacket. Mrs. William Shelley, a survivor, said that Steed attracted attention, even in that awful hour, she said, on account of his superhuman composure and divine work. And when he could do no more, he stood alone at the edge of the deck, in a prayerful attitude of profound meditation. 
He would be spotted by a survivor of the tragedy in the water after the ship went down with John Jacob Astor IV, one of the richest men in the world. Both men were witnessed freezing in the perilous waters and releasing their hold on a raft to try and swim for safety. Both would drown. William Steed would be one of the many never recovered and lost that day. A brilliant man. A tragic end made more tragic by the wide-held belief that he was going to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize that year before his death sadly prevented this. He has been hailed as the greatest newspaperman of his age. Memorials were built in London near his office and in Central Park in America. Memorials you can still see today. After his death, many mediums would claim to have messages from him from the other side. His daughter, ten years later, would publish the book, The Blue Island, Experiences of a New Arrival Beyond the Veil. This book detailed reports of communication between a well-known medium and her father and his experiences in the afterlife. William Steed feared he would meet his end by drowning. He even wrote two articles about a ship going down after a collision in the Mid-Atlantic. One was titled, How the Mail Steamer Went Down in the Mid-Atlantic, published in the Pall Mall Gazette in 1886, and the other, From the Old World to the New, published in 1892. He recounted in these articles the perils of not enough life rafts to passengers and inadequate radio signalling. These articles have led many to believe that Steed produced them via automatic writing, and he was in fact channeling his future self foretelling the events of the Titanic. Many believe they predict the Titanic sinking. In Mrs. Stell Steed's book entitled My Father, there is a chapter telling of some very remarkable cases of doubles or ghosts of living people. Miss Steed quotes her father from an account of his experience written some time ago as follows. A friend of mine, then living down near Hindhead, claimed to possess the faculty of projecting her phantasmal double, sometimes voluntarily and sometimes without any conscious exercise or volition. It is by the aid of the double and by automatic handwriting with living persons that there seems to me the best chance of solving the abysmal mystery of personality. Ghosts of the dead are important, no doubt, but they are from the other side and often seem to experience great difficulty in translating their thoughts into the language of Earth, and not less difficulty in adjusting their fitful apparitions to the necessities of the psychical researcher. But with the double it is different, for there is no chasm to be bridged in its case between the living and the dead, and with automatic communications from the living, when all allowance has been made for disturbed influences, cross-currents and the intruding influence of the medium's consciousness, it affords by far the best clue to the mysteries, subconscious region, in which most of the phenomena of the borderland either arise or come into our knowledge. Mr Steed himself saw two doubles, which he proved satisfactorily to himself as having been authentic cases. One was the case of Mrs F., whom he saw as he was walking down Norfolk Street to his office at Marbury House. She was walking briskly in front of him, apparently going to the office. Mrs F, he says, had a marked individuality carried to extreme originality. She could not be easily mistaken for anyone else. There is only one Mrs F in London. 
I was considerably behind with my correspondence. Bother the woman was my unspoken thought. I'll just run up to her and tell her I cannot see her today. I'm too busy and my correspondence is waiting. I half quickened my step when I checked myself. She had been ill. It would seem unkind. Now she had travelled all the way down to the office to refuse to see her. So I thought, I will catch up to her at the foot of the stairs and explain that I can only see her for a minute. All this time she was walking a few paces ahead of me. I saw her as distinctly as I ever saw anyone in my life. There was no possibility of my having mistaken her for another woman. My word, my lady, I thought to myself as I saw her quick springing step up the steps and noted the smart business-like toss of her chin in the air. You have recovered and no mistake. You are more like a girl of 18 than an invalid over 30. The lift boy had no trace of Mrs F, who the boy told him had been there, but left half an hour before, and he was certain that she'd not been in since. Having searched in vain all over the office for Mrs F, he wrote her the following letter. November the 21st, 1892. Dear Mrs F, I'm sorry to have missed you this afternoon and I'm the more so because your double seems to have come back when you had left. I returned about 25 minutes past three and as I got halfway down Norfolk Street, I saw you in front of me. I quickened my steps to catch up to you, but you got into the door before I could get within more than about 30 or 40 yards. You went into the place with your usual quick step and I thought to myself, now when I see Mrs F I will chafe her about being so extremely well that she can walk as briskly as ever she did when she was a young girl. When I got in I expected to find you just going upstairs or standing by the lift door, but you were not in either of these places, so I took the lift expecting to see you when I reached the top, or that I would catch you on the stairhead, and behold I found that you had gone. Now are you conscious of having come back, double or otherwise? Or am I beginning to be clairvoyant or not? Mr. Steed received a reply. Mrs. F telling him that she had in fact been a mile away from the office. She'd been looking up at the clock tower when it was just half past three, thinking of a parcel that she had left in his office and was wishing she could go back to get it. But she hadn't actually gone back. The second case occurred on September the 20th when he saw the double of a friend a Mrs A at the evening service at the Congressional Church at Wimbledon. Not only he himself, but, says Miss Steed, I saw her, as well as the clergyman and the deacons. She was at the time ill in bed in her own house at a distant part of London. She entered after the service had commenced and took her seat near the front at about five minutes past seven and remained till half past eight. She was offered a book and refused it. She left before the congregation. Father, seeing her leave, hurried down from the gallery where he was sitting to speak to her and ask why it was she had come so far when she was so ill and to take her to the train. When he got out, he could find her nowhere, went to the station and looked everywhere, but could find no trace of her. Wednesday morning, he received a letter from her about something and telling how ill she'd been on Sunday, but no mention of coming to chapel. So he cycled over after lunch to make inquiries and found her very ill and weak and heard to his surprise she'd not been out at all on Sunday. In the afternoon she'd been ill with spasms. 
The doctor came to see her between five and six and ordered her to go to bed. Her servants and her relatives saw her in bed between six and seven, and again saw her asleep about nine when she awoke and finished writing a letter to her father telling of her illness. Steed collected all the evidence carefully and proved that it was impossible for Mrs A to have gone from her house in any normal way to such a distant part of London and returned to her house and bed between the times she was seen there. He proved absolutely that if it were not a case of a double, it could not possibly be accounted for by any of the usual explanations. Dr Alfred Russell Wallace at the time suggested that there was another explanation. He advanced the theory that Mrs A may have been instantaneously levitated across London in proper person, as was Mrs Guppy, the very well-known famous medium. However it was done, it had been proved possible to William Steed that a person being very ill in one place could appear several miles distant in another place, apparently as material and physical as those who saw her. Mediums, William Steed wrote, are among the most valuable members of the community. They are like a seeing man in the world of the blind. They need to be sought for as hidden treasure and preserved and cared for as the only instruments by which it is possible successfully to undertake the exploration of the other world. Instead of which, they are, as a rule, sneered at, derided and treated as if they were knaves and liars. Sometimes they are thrown into jail and everything in short that collective society can do to discourage the development of mediumship is being done and has been done for many years. Under these circumstances, it is not surprising that good mediums are few and far between. I hope, however, that with increasing intelligence, the growth of the scientific spirit and the decay of superstition in spiritualism, these individuals were so much more highly evolved than the rest of their fellows as to be able to see what is invisible and inaudible to the majority of men may be discovered in increasing numbers. To conclude, I'm going to read you a couple of haunting short extracts from one of the articles written by Steed. Clairvoyance, double future ghosts. I will leave you to ponder the mystery. Do you think he saw his future self? Did his fear of his drowning come from living the future that he was racing towards? On the fifth night out, the moon shone beautifully and we were surrounded by a fireworks of silver. I could not sleep for the very delight of living, and I walked up and down crooning over old rhymes under the glad mystery of the night. A sudden freak prompted me to hoist myself up from the alley, and I had a look at four of the boasts. The thole pins were laid ready, water casks made fast forward, oars lashed handily, plugs out. I counted the thwarts, and it struck me that the other four boats must be pretty big, but the four amidships were certainly small enough. At the finish I calculated that by loading all the eight boats down to the water's edge, and by packing the children along the bottom boards, we might accommodate 390 people. We were carrying 916 altogether. Here is a further extract from those writings. Stand by the boats. The order was given and the boatswain's call rose in a long, tremulous screech. The sailors tried to get to their quarters, and I observed that their occasional drills had done them good. But then the drills had been carried on while the passengers stood aloof, so that the sailors were used to having their own way. 
At this juncture, there was a maddened host of cowardly men and hysterical women to be dealt with. I forced my way forward toward one of the starboard boats. And as I thrust my way through the crush, an Irish woman clung to me with one arm, while she held up a shivering baby with the other. The woman was nearly naked, but she never heeded the cold. Mother of God, she cried, take my little one and make sure of him. I shook her off and pushed on. Terrified Navi sought to keep me back, and he scratched at my face like a cat, but I reached the davits. The men had the boat swung round, and the carpenter was about to let her run, when a mixed mob of English and foreigners took possessions, and in an instant the little craft was packed with a weltering heap of men who had quite lost their senses. I saw the captain leave the bridge with a flying spring, and I also saw the gleam of the pistol barrels. Then I heard on the starboard side the rapid smash-smash of a revolver shot, and the captain shouted, You hear what they're getting on the other side? Out of it, or I take you one after the other. The sailors were fighting hard, but the men in the boat fought also with the oars and boat hooks. One seaman had his head split. Another received a wound from a boat hook which took his cheek away in one nasty flap. Steed's writings can still be viewed. They detail with astonishing accuracy the events of the Titanic, the panic, the reasons for why the ship would sink. Maybe go and have a look and read for yourself in helping making that judgment. Thank you as always for listening. See you next time. Bye for now. like this podcast then there are a number of things that you can do come along and follow haunted history chronicles on facebook twitter and instagram the links are below in the description to this podcast share news of the podcast with friends family who may be interested you can also come along and join us on our new website which has a plethora of other features including information on our episodes guests and a blog which includes guest writers You can support the podcast further by leaving us a review or taking a look at our Patreon page and in the process gain access to some extra goodies. Your support and encouragement is always invaluable. Thank you so very much, everyone. (laughs) 